Thought I'd start that today. As we open to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're picking up on verse 18 when we're talking about here the church in Corinth. And it was very amazing to go through the first piece of chapter 3 where we're learning that Corinth here was a church that was filled with carnality or with sin. But as they were filled with carnality and sin, here Paul is telling them to go back to holiness. And he's telling them to live a life that is not after their flesh. And he's teaching them how to build a life, how to build a life where it's designed from the ground up to please God. Do you remember that we talked a lot about building a foundation last week? On how it's important to build a foundation and what you build on top of that foundation, quality materials, and then what you put into the building, which is the house of God, you are the temple of God. And we've learned that we are responsible to keep the house of God holy. Well, now after he's explained that, he wants us to understand that we are required as a church to be a people that is designed from the ground up to be able to please God. And today I want to ask you, are you designed today from the ground up in such way that you please God? In such way that you are built to last even through the fire? You see, if you want something to last, you have to build it right. The foundation, the materials, what you house on it. And he's telling us this because he wants us to understand our spiritual condition. That we must live a life that glorifies God and not glorifies the flesh. Why is he telling us that? Because here now the church in Corinth did not have or was not living in holiness. They had a, a worldly mindset taking place in the church. And because of that, they had a carnal attitude. And because of that, they had a carnal mentality. They were thinking like the world. And they did they, because of pride. Because they thought that they were wise in their own eyes, in their own understanding. But we learned today when you have a high view of God, you can have a right view of self. And I want to ask you today, what kind of view do you have of God? When you have a high view of God because you're in His Word, because you're in prayer, because you're building the right way, you have a high view of God, you're going to have a right view of self. And when you have a right view of self, you're able to redefine what wisdom means and redefine what success means. Today we're going to redefine both of those as Paul did. We're going to redefine wisdom. What does that look like? What does that mean biblically? And also redefine what success means and how we as a church, as a set apart holy people for God, what our lives supposed to look like. You see the church here in Corinth were living in their own kingdom. And in their own vain imagination, they thought that they had all the answers. Because they were living like the world, in the world's wisdom. They thought that they had all the right answers. We know in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that here Solomon tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. What happens when you lean on your own understanding? What happens when you think that you have it all settled? When you think that you know it all? When you think that because of your experience, history, accolades, education, or status, that you know it all. You're leaning on your own understanding. You become prideful. It suppresses your growth as a Christian. And guess what? It gets you into trouble. That's why we're supposed to lean on His understanding. 
Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in everything that you do. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to acknowledge Him. I don't know it all. I am not wise enough. I am not qualified enough. I need the Lord in everything that I do. I'm going to acknowledge Him. Uh, we will never substitute. I'll tell you this. We will never substitute the Holy Spirit with the wisdom of the world. And sometimes we try to substitute the Holy Spirit that inspires, that counsels, that convicts us, that guides us, that comforts us. We try to substitute the Holy Spirit with the wisdom of man and with the wisdom of this world. And it doesn't happen that way. It does not work. Our lives will not work like that. The Bible tells us that we're a channel, that we're a vessel. And we have to avoid worldly wisdom. Well, you would ask yourself, what does that mean, worldly wisdom? It means that you have to avoid having a secular mindset or thinking about God and thinking about life in such a secular way. You see, we have to think about it with spiritual eyes. Asking the Lord to teach us, to guide us. We want more of you, Lord. Here in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 18, says this, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. They are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Lord, Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, today that you would anoint our ears to hear. And then, Lord, that you would anoint our will so that we can obey. Lord, we thank you, Lord, because you've given us your word. And we trust your word. We trust your spirit. We lean not on our own understanding. We want to trust in the blueprints of what you've set up for us, God, and that is Jesus, the foundation. In Jesus' name we pray, the church together would say, Amen. You see, I've titled today's message, Trust God, number one, trust God and be faithful. There's something that we have to understand today is that we ought to trust God and be faithful. Number one, trust God. We ought to not trust ourselves, trust our experience, trust our history, trust our education, trust in God and be faithful. Because we start to trust all those secular things that maybe God gave it to us and that are good, we become, we have a secular mindset or mentality that, that now does not allow us to grow spiritually. Why is that? Because we become prideful at moments, we can become conceited, we can become to a place where we think that we have arrived and nobody can tell me anything. And he tells here the church in Corinth, don't think that because you're so smart, stop trying, stop trying to be so smart like the world in the church, that you almost now substitute the Holy Spirit. And he redefines wisdom for them. He says, let no one deceive himself. Don't lie to yourself, number one. Do not lie to yourself. If anyone among you seems to be wise... If you think you're wise, do not here deceive yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You're really not wise. Isn't that right there going straight and rebuking the ego and the pride of man? If you think you have it all together, let me tell you something. You don't. If you think that you've arrived, that you have not arrived. If perhaps you think that you have the answer, you really do not have the answer. Because that prideful mentality 
was keeping them away from growing spiritually. And he says this here, if anyone among you thinks they're wise in this age, in this age, if we're, we think we're wise like the world according to the world standards, how far reaching is that? If you think you're wise according to man because you compare yourself to the culture and the world and what everyone else status and success of what people think, how, does that really even matter in God's eyes? You see, he's saying here, if anyone, you think you're wise in this age, according to this world, let him become a fool. Let him renounce all those things. Let him sing. Those things are just secular. Those things are just temporary. Those things come secondary, it says, that he may become wise. You know how you can become a fool? You know, how does he describe fools in the prior chapters? Fools are those that are now in love with the cross. In love with Jesus. Because he says to the world, the cross is foolishness. You see, you want to become now wise, first become a fool. A fool, what do you mean by that? That sounds so derogatory. But fools here, what he's describing is a man or a woman that loves God and loves the things of God. Because the world despises those things. And if you really want to be wise, you have to be wise according to God and not wise according to the world. You know, sometimes we want to impress men. We want to be validated by men. And once we've reached a certain status by man and by this world and by society, we think that we are good. But what good is it all to have all of those things in regards to man and in the eyes of God? It doesn't matter. In Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10, Solomon tells the church, The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know who fears the Lord? Those that love God and love the things of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You want to be wise and you want to have knowledge. It's having knowledge in God's Word and fearing God that makes you wise. It's not what your experience or the world, what the world says that makes you wise. In fact, what did John the Baptist teach us? I must decrease and he must increase. You want to become wise in this life? You want to become wise in the eyes of God and not the eyes of man? Then decrease so that he can increase. Become a fool when it comes to the cross. I love the cross. I'm not ashamed of the cross. And maybe the world looks at this foolish, but in the eyes of God, this is true spiritual wisdom. In the previous chapters here in 1 Corinthians, who does he define wisdom to be? He says that Jesus is the wisdom and the righteousness of God for us. That means that if you want wisdom, you have to want Jesus. Not, not anything else in life. You have to want Jesus. You see, those that are fools are those that are not ashamed of the gospel. The New Living Translation reads verse 18. Stop deceiving yourselves. Stop lying to yourselves. If you think you're wise by the world's standards, you really need to become fools to become wise. You know what this teaches us here and what this, he's trying to teach the church of Corinth? He's trying to clean up their mentality so that they don't think that they ought to be measured by the world's standards. And today as you've become saved and you become part of the church, I want you to remember you are not to be measured by the world's standards. Because what good is it to be successful in the eyes of man and be a failure in the eyes of God? And you think about it, we want to become successful. In the eyes of who though? In the eyes of man or in the eyes of God? We want to have a status, a position that does not make you wise. Success, status, position, that's all measured by the world standards, that doesn't make you wise. 
And Corinth was adopting a worldly style and mentality that was changing their character and they were bringing into the church. And here Paul reminds them, don't bring that into the church because that attitude of I got it, of I know, of I've arrived does not allow you to grow in Jesus Christ. See, the church is to remain holy. And sometimes we think, well, you know what, I, I haven't really made it in life. I'm really nothing in life. Or, or people look at me and they don't see somebody that's, that's approved or validated by the standards of culture and time today. But whose eyes do you want to be approved in? In the eyes of God or in the eyes of man? The church is to remain holy. And if the church is to be holy, it has to measure themselves. And the church has to measure itself by the word of God and not by the word of man. And he's saying here, stop measuring yourselves by secular standards. Because we do that all the time. And that's so carnal. It's to remain holy. It's to be set apart from carnality. Stop chasing the world's standards. That is not what makes you wise. What makes you wise is following the Lord. And now he says in verse 19, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Everything that is wise in this world, the Lord looks at it as foolishness to Him. For it is written here, and he talks about Job 5, verse 13. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. He catches the wise in, or he traps the wise in their cleverness. God knows them. You see, God is not impressed with the world's wisdom. And sometimes we think we can come and impress people with our wisdom, with uh, uh, maybe our accolades and all that, but God is not impressed with that. You think God is impressed when you come in and, and you think that you know it all? In fact, the Lord says in Matthew, what did He say in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that say, you know what, everything that I know, it doesn't matter. And everything that I am really doesn't count if God is not the center of my life and in the center of my devotion. You see, He says He catches the wise in their own craftiness. The wise think that they're crafty, God catches them. He's not impressed by that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, he says, Likewise, younger people, now submit yourselves to your elders. Yet all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility. The church here had a lot of pride. They weren't able to get along because of pride. And I'll tell you, you're not going to ever be able to get along no matter what relationship you're trying to work out if you are not humble. And it says here now, Submit yourself to one another and be clothed with humility. Isn't this the garments that we have to wear every day? As we wake up, Lord, I want to wear the garments of humility today. That I can walk in love and display a life of Christ-likeness. And it says here, God resists the proud. Anybody that's proud, God says, get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with the proud attitude. I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to strengthen you. I'm not going to restore you. But God gives grace or He welcomes now. He restores, He revives those that are humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you when? Not in your time, but He exalts you where? In due time. A lot of us want exaltation. You want the Lord to raise us up. You want to be raised up by the Lord, then humble yourself, and He will raise you up in due time. The people here in Corinth wanted to come up all raised up, chest out, chin up, and I know it all, and I'm bringing a secular mentality, I'm validated by the eyes of the world, so I should be able to be somebody in the church. Doesn't work like that. Does not work that way. He's saying here, in fact, God catches the world in their craftiness, and it says in verse 20, and again, now Psalms 94 verse 11, he quotes, 
The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and that they are futile. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. The Lord knows your thoughts right now. Do, do you know that? That as we are here at church right now, we're sitting in and hearing God's word. God knows the thoughts that are going through your mind right now. <laughs> and God knows the thoughts of the world. Those thoughts that maybe sometimes are attractive to us. Uh, we won't lie. We, we, sometimes we see the world, man, that lifestyle is attractive. Man, they look like they're having a good time. I want to be that way. And we try to copy that lifestyle, copy and paste it now into the church. And Paul said, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. That mentality, you keep it out of the church. That, that reaching for success and self and ego and pride, you take that out of here because the church is to remain holy. He says here, I know the thoughts of those that think that they're wise and those thoughts are futile. You see, that word futile is, is important. I want you to know because futile means those thoughts are worthless. Those thoughts are purposeless, they're pointless, they're meaningless. Those thoughts are aimless. Why? Because those are the thoughts of the unregenerate person without the Spirit of God. You see, we have the Spirit of God in us. And if we have the Spirit of God in us, it should change the way we think. The thoughts of the wise are secular, it's a secular mindset. But when you have the Holy Spirit, it changes the way you think and you become a regenerate person that you are born again now and it starts with your mind. It starts with your heart. So your mentality changes about things in life. Now you want to please God. And it says the ideas of the ungenerate man living without Christ lack divine insight. You see, you want to have divine insight. You have to ask the Holy Spirit, give me divine insight. Give me a mind that is not darkened because it's darkened if I don't have your spirit. It's ineffective without the spirit of God. So what is he saying here? The thoughts of the wise, the thoughts of the world are purposeless, aimless, meaningless. And a life with those thoughts are ineffective because they don't have the spirit of God. Let's think about that. My thoughts, are they ineffective or are they purposeful? Because I'm welcoming the spirit of God in my life. What really matters when it comes to wisdom? Is it spiritual wisdom? It's the spiritual wisdom that comes from the Word of God. In verse 21 it says, Therefore, let no one boast in man, for all things are yours. So stop trying to boast or be proudful about man. Sometimes we become so boastful about man. What were they doing? They were bringing the, their wisdom of the world, the secular mentality of who looks better, who's more wiser, who's more approved into the church. And it started to infect the church. But he says, therefore, let no one boast. What does it mean to not boast? Don't become proudful in people. Don't put your eyes on people. You know when you put your eyes on people, what does it do? It, it, people will fail you. And they will disappoint you. But when you put your eyes on God, I'll tell you this. When you have your eyes on God, you will never be disappointed. And sometimes we think, you know what, I, I always am disappointed because maybe our eyes are on man and they're not on God. And he's saying all things are yours here. In verse 21, therefore, let no one boast for all things are yours. God has given you all things. So you don't have to fight one another for it. You don't have to now be in disagreement about it. God's given you everything, so stop fighting about it. Stop uh, quarreling about it. Stop having divisions in the church about it. Because you belong to one church and that person belongs to another church. And you think that person is more wise. So that makes you more spiritual. Because you go to that church. And you think that person over here doesn't have a, a, you know, uh, the, the uh, approved and the accolades and, and the history and the experience of this other person. So you think that you're better because you belong to that group. 
And that's so carnal. That's such a, a competitive spirit that should not belong in the church. In fact, it says here, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word of life or death, all things present or all things to come, all are yours. It doesn't matter where you're from, who's your pastor, what denomination you're at. God has given you all things and you have to know that He's going to hold you accountable to these things. But it said here now, even life or death. Why even life or death? Because God's given you victory even over death. He's defeated death here it says. And all things are yours. You know why He mentions names? Because they started to glory in man. They started to think, well I'm a big shot because I belong to Paul. Oh, Apollos baptized me. Well I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm more spiritual than that man. You see, the church that you go to, the denomination that you belong to, that doesn't make you more spiritual. It does not. It's like saying, going to this gym makes me more in shape than that person that goes to that gym. <laughs> that make you more in shape. I'll tell you, it doesn't matter what gym you go to. If you don't work out, if you're not in the Word, if you're not praying, then it does not matter where your membership is at. <laughs> Why? Because it's not about man. You see, and there was a competitive spirit here taking place. God entrusted you with ministry, with life, and He will personally hold you accountable to what you did with it. Guess what? It says here in verse now 23, and you are Christ and Christ is God's. What is it saying here? You belong to God. Stop acting like you belong to the world. If you belong to God, to Christ, and Christ belongs to God, there is a unity in fellowship. And what is he trying to tell us? We are called to unity. We are called to fellowship. There is no place for foolish boasting or a competitive spirit among Christians. When we, we start to boast foolishly about what we belong to as Christians or become competitive, that, 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 that's all carnal. It doesn't belong in the church. We start to now try to compare ourselves with other people. That's, a, that's of the world. He's saying, stop comparing yourself. Don't put your eyes on man. Put your eyes on God. He will never disappoint you. You know what happens when you put your eyes on man? Division begins. Division begins. Because now you start to compare and start to say, well, I'm more approved here. Or I am more wise. That's the world's mentality. In the church, that should not exist. I love what it's been said before. When you take your eyes off of Him, off of God, somewhere division begins. But when you put your eyes on Him, somewhere division starts to end. When you put your eyes on God, uh, when you put your eyes, take your eyes off of Him, somewhere division begins. You take your eyes off of God, division is going to begin. It doesn't matter where it is. If you're at work, if you're at home, you're at church, whatever capacity of relationship that God has called you to be a part of, if you take your eyes off of God, somewhere division is going to begin. But if you put your eyes back on Him, somewhere division will begin to end. You want the division to begin to end? You want there to be restoration and unity and, and harmony, perfect harmony? Then put your eyes on God and somewhere division will end. What is He doing here? He redefines wisdom for us. That we are not called to be measured by the world's standard. We're called to be measured by God's standards. What does God think about me? You think about that. Imagine if we cared only about what God thought about us, how much would we accomplish for the kingdom of God? I think sometimes we get so caught up in, a, in the world's mentality, we get caught up and distracted with that mentality that we're not able to do what God's called us to do. 
But think about how much me and you can do for God if we only cared about what He thought about us. Man, the church would be unstoppable. <laughs> because we only care about what God thinks. It doesn't matter what they think. They can think I'm foolish. But it doesn't matter. This is wisdom. And that's what He's saying. If you want to become wise, then you have to be foolish in the eyes of God because you're embracing the cross, denying yourself. You're going against the world's mentality. What is he doing? He's completely rebuking pride and ego here of the church. It's happening in the church he's talking to. He's redefining wisdom in the church. But now he begins to redefine what success looks like for a servant of God. See, they were saying, I'm from Paul, I'm from Apollos, I'm from Cephas. He's saying, all right, well, let me redefine what, well, who we are first. If you're going to talk about us, let me tell you who we are. And he's going to tell us three things here. The classification of a servant. If you want to be a servant, the classification of the servant. The dedication of a servant and the evaluation of a servant. What is, why is he doing this? Because he wants us to classify, dedicate, and evaluate ourselves the way God would. Not the way the world would. The way God looks, looks at. We already saw what the world looks at. It's a worldly wisdom. It's a pride. It's an ego. It's self. It's selfishness. It's ambition. And what He wants us to do is renounce self-ambition, self-confidence, submitting your life over to Christ so that you can be a channel through whom God works His power, His authority, and His Word can go out and be a blessing in the world around us if we renounce self. Today we have to choose. I want to renounce self. I want to, I want to decrease so that he can, he can increase. I want to become invisible so that He can become visible. And in ver- chapter 4, verse 1, we're going to do an introduction of this chapter. And it says this, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. This morning we had Pastor Morgan teach us about servants and about stewards. Today we're going to teach, to, we're going to listen to two things and earlier through our leadership, he went over these things if you were here. But it says here that, let us consider us. Who's he talking about? The church here. Regard us. Recognize ourselves as. You think to yourself to be two things. You want to think of yourself to be something? Be a servant and be a steward. And he's saying here, be a servant and steward and consider ourselves. We learn and we know that servants here, it's not the doulos or the slave that we know of. Doulos is the Greek word for servant. He's not using that word here. In fact, he's using another word, hyperid us, which is talking about a galley ship lower class slave. We went over this this morning. What is a, a galley ship lower class slave? You see, in every ship, that, that the Roman ships, there would be slaves that were on deck. And these were maybe some upper class slaves, but they were lower class slaves. The lowest type of class in the slave community were under the ship and they were enslaved there. They didn't get meals. They didn't get the meal break. They didn't get a 10 minute rest break period like we're used to, right? In fact, they didn't get the restroom breaks either, so it was filthy and fell under there. And they were just rowing now this ship and, and shackled them together and rowing. He said, that's all I am. I'm just an under rower. I'm just rowing here. And you think about it, the world's mentality. I'm big. I'm bad. Here, I'm approved. And, and Paul is saying, hey, you know what we really are? We're just an under rower. <laughs> that's all I am. I'm nothing. I'm the last of all. I'm the servant of all. You think about some people that come in and they think that they're qualified and all that. Man, I'm just an under row. Just go back there and row, man. Just get back in there, get under and start rowing and glorify God as you roar. 
That's how he saw himself. That was his view of self. I'm just under the ship. Nobody can see me. I'm, I'm shackled up and I'm just rowing. I'm the last of all and I'm the servant of all. You know why he was doing that? Because he had a mentality. I want to serve Christ the master pilot. I want to serve Christ the master pilot. And I want to help forward the ship of the church toward the haven of heaven. And I am just under here. I'm nothing. I'm just an under rower. I'm just there. I'm just one of many shackled up. That's what I am. I act as one that I'm under direction. I ask no questions. I, 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 I do not hesitate. And I report only to him who is over me. I don't report to anyone else. Think about that mentality. I'm under direction. I hesitate not when I, I'm given orders. And I report only to him who is over me. I don't report to the world. I only report to him because I am just an under roar. Oh man, that's an awesome title that he gave himself. Do you know today that you are just and we are just an under roar? I'm the lowest type of slave possible. I am a galley ship, lowest type here slave, last of all, and I am the servant of all. You cannot get lower than this. That's how he considers himself. And he said, let those galley ship slaves, under roars of the mysteries of God, Christ, and here it says, and stewards. The steward is another type of slave now as well. So first you have the under roar that, that, that doesn't hesitate, that doesn't even get an, an opinion. But also he says, I'm also a steward. A steward was a household manager type of slave. And that steward, what he did was an, he was an administrator. He was a slave that was in charge or put in charge over others and other things. In fact, he was put in charge of the needs and the resources of a household, of a family. He was in charge of paying the bills, providing for the needs, supporting and reporting accounts of any of his obligations. This is what the steward would do to his master. Everything is settled. All the bills are paid. The house is in order. People are getting fed. That's what a steward did. He's, this a steward was, I'm putting, the boss would say this, the master would say this, I'm putting this into your hand. I want you to manage it for me. And this is what Paul is saying. Not only am I slave to the Lord as an underlord, I'm also a steward that He's given me something to be accountable for. You see, what has He given him something to be accountable for? It says here, stewards of what? Of the mysteries of God. Do you know that number one, your mentality is that I am just an underlord, number one. I'm a slave to God. I am in chain and I'm forwarding the ship of this church. And we are now going toward the haven of heaven as a body of Christ. But now I'm also, here it says, a steward. I'm, a, I'm managing something that doesn't belong to me, that belongs to my master. What, what is it? The mysteries of God. What's the mystery of God? The mystery of God is the truth. A mystery that wasn't first now told, it was hidden at one point, but now it's revealed. What is that truth? That, that we are free of guilt, we're free of shame, that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. It is the gospel, and we are, we are stewards of the gospel. Do you know that you're a steward of the gospel? God has given you the gospel, and He's going to come and ask you, what did you do with the gospel? What did you do with Jesus? He was taking their mentality from the world. He said, I want you to know that you're just an underroar. We are just an underroar. And also we're a galleyship slave. And also we're stewards of the mysteries of God. So what are the mysteries of God in the Bible? See, we have to be now stewards and servants of the Bible, not of entertainment. 
You know, I was listening and reading this week and understanding that people don't like, love the mysteries of God. They don't love the Bible anymore. And it's sad because in churches across, uh, you know, the, Amer- the, 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 the church as a whole, the universal church, that there is now a biblical illiteracy. Which means that people don't know the Bible. They haven't ever read the Bible. They haven't studied the Bible. They don't know God's Word. And they think, oh, we don't need the Bible now even at church. We can water it down. We can make it about culture and about time. But the Bible transcends culture and time. And it's always relevant no matter what. There's nothing more contemporary and more relevant than God's Word. And he's saying here, we're responsible, we are stewards, we're responsible for distributing, for dispensing, for preserving now, protecting the Word of God. You're responsible here. It's so important that we know what our responsibilities are. If you don't know your responsibilities are, how are you going to know how to fulfill them? Or even if you're getting them done. You know what's interesting here? That he's saying of the mysteries of God. Because it's the Bible that we need not anything else. It's the Bible, the Bible, and the Bible that we need. God will use a man or a woman that opens up the Bible and puts a voice in it. God will use a man or a woman that opens up the Bible and that gives it a voice. Are you opening up the Bible today as a man or woman of God and are you giving it a voice? Are you giving it a voice? It's the Bible that we need. It's so sad you hear about people in church for many years that have never read the Bible from cover to cover, that we would know the entire counsel of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation and know exactly that the Old Testament confirms the New Testament. And understand the will of God. We know the will of God because we know the Word of God and we love the Word of God because we're people, men and women of the wisdom of God. But it says here now, we are servants and we are stewards of the mysteries of God about the Bible, not about entertainment or anything else. Verse 2, moreover, it is required. This is the word that everybody hates. <laughs> required? What do you mean required? Required, here, in stewards that one be found faithful. It's required. It's not an option. <laughs> it's a must. In fact, if you're saying that you want to serve the Lord, if you want to be a steward of God's Word, it is required from you that you be faithful. Required means commitment. Required means discipline. It's not an option. It's a must. You know what I love? it That we're going to study a word, faithfulness. We've learned what servant means in under war. We've learned what steward means, someone that's in charge of someone else's belongings that are one day are going to give an account to what the Lord gave you. You are a steward, whether it's your time, your resources, your money, your job, your marriage, your family, your kids. God's given you to, to manage that for Him. And one day He's going to ask you what you did with it. But are you being faithful as a steward now? Are you being a faithful steward? You see, it's so important that we become faithful stewards. It is required that stewards, in stewards, that one be found faithful. Faithfulness. You can't buy faithfulness. You can't fake faithfulness either. It's hard to find faithful people today. Because we live in a, a very unfaithful world and time and culture. We live in a very world that doesn't want to commit. We're unfaithful to church. We're unfaithful maybe at work, right? Go, leaving a little bit early or, or going in late. It's unfaithfulness to our employer. We're unfaithful when it comes to families sometimes, to our kids or unfaithful to our marriages. And, or maybe we're unfaithful even at church. We sign up and, and we don't want to really show up to what we sign up for. 
We, we say we're going to be there, but we don't really, we're not going to be there really because we're not demonstrating faithfulness and we don't really carry out our responsibilities. We quit. We don't show up. We, we sign up, but don't show up. You see, there was a story of a, a choir director that for two months was leading a choir rehearsals for a concert that would take place. And, and, and he, this choir director was so completely frustrated because people did not show up to the rehearsals. And you think about it for two months, once a week, show up to the rehearsals. You signed up for this. Become faithful if you signed up. Faithful to God. Faithful to your commitments. Whatever God puts you, be faithful to Him. And this choir director was so discouraged. Finally, the last rehearsal came in. And everybody finally showed up to the last rehearsal. It seems like everybody shows up the day right before it's going to happen, right? And it happened that he showed up. They, they all showed up and the choir director says, You know what? I just want to now, before we start, commend that, the piano, poor piano player. That, that she has been there every single week while some of you guys have missed and you guys don't come and then you come and you're not faithful to, to coming and, and sometimes you do and, and, the, and the piano director was there every single week and didn't ever miss one week. And the piano director just stands and, and so humbly just bows and says, well, well, it was the least that I can do being that I don't plan on being here for the concert. <laughs> And sometimes we have that mentality. I don't have to be faithful. I'll do it on my own schedule. I'll do it on my own time. I don't really have to go to church today. I'll just go next week. I, I mean, I can go whenever I want, actually. It's not, I'm not legalistic. I, I mean, the grace of God. No, we have to be faithful. You want to be a steward of God? If you want God to use you, then you have to be faithful. You cannot ever ask God to use me. And you, you're not faithful. Faithfulness is not an option, it's an obligation. Faithfulness is not an option, it's an obligation. And the steward is obligated to be faithful about his obligations. I want, you to, I want to repeat that to you again. You are obligated as a steward to be faithful about your obligations. It's a prerequisite for servants and for stewards. It's so important to be faithful. You think about it. You have to be faithful because if you're not faithful, you will ruin the resources of your master. You will waste their time. You're in danger of ruining people's well-being and the, and the resources and the materials and the money and all of that. You're in danger of ruining your master's work if you're not faithful. And I think sometimes to ourselves how we can ruin God's work because we're not faithful. You think about if that, that, that steward that is taking care of the house is not faithful, shows up whenever they want, doesn't really pay the bills, doesn't really cook the meals. Guess what's going to happen to that house? The house is not going to be taken care of. How is it that you want to be serving in the house of God or serving at whatever capacity that God has put you, but you don't want to be faithful? You have to be faithful. It says it is required. And look at what it says here. In, in verse 2, it is required in, in stewards. That means that it has to be part of your DNA. That faithfulness must be embedded with the type of person and character that you are. I'm faithful. I don't just show up whenever I want. I show up early. I leave late. That's faithfulness. You know what? We can count on that person. You know what faithfulness means? It means another word here. It means trustworthy. Man, that person is faithful. They're trustworthy. God can say, I, I trust that person with my ministry. I can trust that person with the children's ministry. I can trust that person with the usher's ministry. I can trust that person with their marriage. I can trust that person with their job. 
I can promote that person because he's trusted in the little so I can promote him to be in charge of more because he's been tested so now he can be trusted. You think about that. We must be trustworthy. Faithfulness is important because it speaks about being trustworthy. It means being dedicated and it marks the foundation of every great relationship in ministry, faithfulness. It marks the foundation of every great relationship. You want to know that the foundation of every great relationship that you would have, even with God, the church, the ministry, your spouse, your children, it's trust. It's trust. If you have trust, let me tell you, and you build on that, on Jesus, on trust, on faith, it is the foundation of every great relationship. And it starts with what? Being faithful. Because God measures success on faithfulness and not on results. I want you to know that today. Got to measure success on faithfulness. And success in God's eyes means faithfulness. It means obedience. It means being faithful when everyone else is being unfaithful. Think about that. What is the world crowned? The world crowns success. Oh, look, let's crown success. Let's exalt success. Let's exalt the results. Let's exalt numbers. But God says, let me exalt faithfulness. Let me exalt trustworthiness. Let me exalt devotion. That's what God exalts. That's what God looks at. And you have to ask yourself today, as a servant and as a steward, am I being a good steward today? Am I being faithful with what God has put before me? Am I faithful? Or am I distracted? Because you're either dedicated or indisciplined or you're distracted. You know what, I'm going to tell you something. When we're distracted with the things of this life, we're not going to be able to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And it's so important that we know this. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Faithful in the little. God measures success like this. To faithfulness to His word and obedience. You see, in fact, in Matthew 24, verse 45 and 46, Jesus spoke about a parable and He says, Who then is faithful and a wise servant? We talked about being wise. You see, those that are wise are also always faithful. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler of his household or a steward over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. What does God, what does God want to look? He wants to find you so doing. Is he going to find you faithful? Are you going to be found faithful? You see, sometimes we think that we're faithful, but we're just doing enough to get by. You know what? I'm just doing enough to get by and I'm faking faithfulness. That's not really being faithful. You can't say, you know, I'm being faithful, but I'm just doing enough to get by. That is not really being faithful. We, we, we think that we're faithful and, and we do things and, and, and we quit before it's time to, to finish. But if we want to be used by God, it doesn't, it isn't, it's not required brilliance or eloquence or experience. God wants to use faithfulness. And sometimes we say, Lord, well, can you really use me? If you're faithful, He can use you. If you're unfaithful, He won't be able to use you. God doesn't, that's the number one requirement. It's simple, but it's essential. God will use those that meet this requirement. God will use you if you meet this requirement. You would say, well, I don't have much to offer, but offer him your time. Be faithful. And as you offer him your time, guess what? God is able to show himself strong on your behalf and in your life because you're saying, I'm just going to be faithful to God. And you know what happens? When you're faithful to God, you're more than likely faithful in every, every other area of your life. When you're faithful to God, when you're being faithful to God with your time, your resource, money, your heart, when you're being faithful to God, 
You're being faithful also and more than likely in every other area of your life because first you have become faithful to God. When you're unfaithful to God, when you're unfaithful to God, when you're unfaithful to God, more than likely you will be unfaithful in every other area of your life as well. You see in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord... Not the eyes of man, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro all the earth. God is looking right now, all the earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking to and fro all the earth, and he just wants to show himself strong on somebody's behalf, but on those that are loyal to him. You want the Lord to show himself strong on your behalf? God, show yourself strong in my behalf. It's going to take that you are loyal to him. Are you loyal to Him today? Are you being a good steward of what He put in your life? The vertical faithfulness in our life, when that vertical faithfulness is right, the horizontal faithfulness with other people is going to be right as well. God is looking to show Himself strong in your marriage. Strong at your work. Strong in your church. Strong in our ministries now. Strong in saying, I want to start serving the Lord at church. I'm going to dedicate myself and I'm going to be faithful. Because those are the kind of people God wants to use. In Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 1 and 2. Nehemiah is a book about building a wall in, around Jerusalem. The walls were torn down now. And the walls were built in Nehemiah chapter 7. It says, then there was that the wall was built. And the door, and, and I had hung the doors, Nehemiah saying. And when the gatekeepers, the singers, the Levites had been appointed now. That I give charge, here it says here, that I gave charge the charge of Jerusalem to my brother here, it says, Hananiah and Hananiah, the leader of Citadel. You see, the walls were up and Nehemiah gave charge of Jerusalem, now the city, to his brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the leader of Citadel. He gave them charge. Why? For he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. You want to be used by God, then you have to be faithful. God cannot and will not use the unfaithful. Sometimes we think, well, God can use me because I'm close to the pastor. I've been at church for a while. You know, I've done ministry many years. God can use me. God will not use you based off of those requirements. God will use you based off of you meeting the simple requirement of you being faithful to Him. Are you being faithful to whatever it is that He put before you? Are you being faithful? Are you being faithful with the time, with your treasures, and with your talents to the Lord today? Are you being faithful? faithful. It is required. It is mandatory. It is not an option. It's our obligation. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. We ask, Lord, that today, Lord, that you would just speak, Lord, to us in regards to what it means to be a steward, a servant. Lord, that you would find us faithful, God. That parable, Lord, in, in the Bible that says, Lord, that you were speaking, Lord. When you said, blesses that man whom when his master comes, he finds him doing so. I pray, Lord, that one day, when we have to return to you everything that you put before us. When we have to give you an answer about the things that you put in our hands. Lord, that we would... Be able to be found by you, faithful, doing so what you call us to do.
And I ask, Lord, that maybe today, as you look into our hearts, and there would be unfaithfulness that started, unfaithfulness that didn't start in our unfaithfulness to people, in our turning our back on people, on things, on ministry, on obligations. But it started when we first become unfaithful to you. I asked her that we would be faithful to you again. Because when we're faithful to you, we can be faithful in every other area. Change our hearts, Lord. We're just a galley ship slave, an under roar. I'm just an under roar. That's what Paul said. I'm nothing. I'm just held accountable for my master's goods. And when he comes, I want to be faithful to what he gave me. Because if we're not faithful, we can spoil it. We can ruin it. We can waste it. We can forfeit the blessing of serving God. We can forfeit the blessing of the people He put in our lives. The responsibilities were being unfaithful. I pray, Lord, that we would know this is a requirement. This is a prerequisite. We want to be used by God. We want to be used by you, Lord. We want to be faithful. I pray that today you would make us men and women that are faithful, Lord, to your word.